Hi, everyone. Welcome to a very special installment of New Narratives, dispatches for Minnesota that highlight the stories of Asian America. My name is Jacqueline. I am the Communications and Digital Coordinator at Asian American Organizing Project, or AAOP. I'm joined by two of my colleagues. My name is Marie, and I'm the Organizing and Advocacy Coordinator at AAOP. And my name is Tree. I am the Cultural Organizer at the Seed Project, supporting AAOP in this audio project. Thank you so much to uh, these two for collaborating on this project. In the next 30 minutes, you're going to hear raw audio and stories from a collection of participants at AOP's most recent event, Spring Into Action, that happened in June 2023. Spring Into Action was a community event hosted by seven Asian American-led organizations in Minnesota. And these stories that you're about to hear from attendees at the event are stories that we think that orgs like AOP or the Seed Project and many other orgs should listen to in order to inform and drive the energy of the work at these orgs. Thank you so much to all of the youth and young Asian Americans that participated in this project and were willing to be vulnerable and share their stories. If you want to hear myself, Marie, and Tree talk a little bit more in depth about the questions we ask participants about their neighborhoods, their communities, their identities, families, relationships, um, head on over to the next episode. And now you're going to hear me and Ryan Sudo from JCL or Japanese American Citizens League ask all the questions that you're going to hear responses from throughout the course of this episode. So let's begin. Okay, great, great. Ron. Hello, I'm Tree Vo with Seed Project. We're here at AAOP's Spring Into Action. Can I get the name of the event again? Spring Into Action. Thank you, Ryan. That's right. Excellent. Well, you just, your um, listeners, you're hearing from two people right now. My name is Tree, and uh, can you introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Ryan Sudo. I use he him pronouns. I'm 28 years old, and I'm a nonprofit worker with Tree in the same sector. We don't work at the same nonprofit, but we're in this nonprofit struggle together in the nonprofit space. Yeah, high yeah. five. Yeah, I am Asian and I'm white, I'm biracial, and I live in St. Paul. Excellent. We're just going through a script so everyone can get a rundown of who the people are. So for me, I am Tree, he, an, am pronouns for the Viet folks out there, 27. Uh, also, as Ryan already said, it, nonprofit sector, Vietnamese, Gin majority, ethnic majority, and I live in Minneapolis, but I spend split time between that and my folks' home in Egan. Let's get into the first question. What does your neighborhood look like to describe? Hi, my name is Emma, and I use she, her pronouns. I am 23 years old, and I am a volunteer coordinator at an environmental nonprofit, and I am Lao American, and currently I'm living in Northeast Minneapolis, but I grew up in Egan. And I will say my neighborhood right now in Northeast Minneapolis, it's very interesting because I definitely do live in a gentrified area, mainly because my roommate really wanted a nice place to live, and she's a corporate girly, and I know that she did not want to live by herself and I'm like you need a roommate I would like a roommate we're living together um so we pay proportionally with rents so that's nice and so that's nice um but I do like all the green spaces around northeast Minneapolis especially since I do have an urban forestry degree and throughout my education we've learned the importance of having trees in cities with to tackle the urban heat island effect that we are experiencing as well how it creates corridors for wildlife to travel through especially since we are living near the Mississippi River and that is an important flyway for around one-third of America's birds and also there's definitely inequities with access to green spaces um, with our neighborhoods in Minneapolis like North Minneapolis for example so with my job we've been doing a lot of reforestation projects and trying to make sure that people can connect to the river um, any way that they can so that is something that I think about whenever I'm walking through my neighborhood with all the green spaces and how not everyone has the same access in the cities. Amazing. Such a rich answer. You deserve a stamp. Thank oh, you. And while yeah, my I'll name is Bessa. My name is Genevieve. My name is JJ. And I'm a she-her. And I'm a she-her. I'm a she-him. And I'm 13. I'm 12. I'm 14. 15. 
My occupation is dancing for Sang Can Lao. My occupation is Sang Can Lao. My occupation is Sang Can Lao. And I am um, Asian. Lao. I'm Asian and Lao. I'm Asian and Lao, and I'm also black. Um, my neighborhood and city is um, Anoka, My neighborhood slash city is Brooklyn Park, Excellent. Is there any question that you all three of you want to answer at all, like your neighborhood or? Um, my neighborhood looks like a rich neighborhood. Um, my neighborhood looks like a lot of people doing yard work a lot in the summer and planting flowers and stuff, and. I feel like my neighborhood, we're just one big family because we invite each other to like parties and stuff and we treat each other very kind and stuff. That's great. Um, my neighborhood looks like, it's just like a lot of people in it. Like the neighborhood's kind of old. Is there anything you would want more out of your neighborhood? I would say more things for little kids to do. Like at the playground, um, there's only like about four swings and a slide and like, there's no, oh, there's like four swings and like a seesaw and like this little spiderweb looking thingy. Uh -huh. But I feel like they should have more for the younger kids because I feel like they deserve more. I mean, they're younger and, and they go to a park and they're expecting a slide and stuff like that. So I feel like that's what I want for my neighborhood. And I also want, I feel like our neighborhood is really kind, but then there's some negative people that like, just do too much sometimes. Oh, I want like the same as JJ, like a lot of playgrounds because like you know how like when they come to like, house, like it's like you know how they're still little, like when like when they grow up they will see there's like old park, old house, old neighborhood, and everything. I just want that to happen for little kids. For my neighborhood, I just I just want some more Black Americans and Asian Americans because basically this whole neighborhood is just white people. Not to be rude, but just that's what it is. Hey, so my name is Miranda Thunavong. Uh, I also go by Randy. Um, my pronouns are, well, I use any pronouns. I just turned 15 years old. I am Laotian, which is um, East Asian. Uh, and I live in Brooklyn Park. My name is Katharina Intasan. I will go by either Kathy or Cologne. My pronouns are she, her. I am 11 years old. And I, my race is Laotian. And I live in Blaine. Um, starting on the questions, um, my neighborhood, to be honest, I don't have much opinion about my neighborhood. I haven't really thought about it like that. I think it's pretty safe. I mean, I pretty much grew up in the area. I live right next to a park, so I can go there whenever I want. Um, my neighbors are really nice, actually. They're pretty trustworthy, and we like interact a few times. I wouldn't like to change anything because I think my um, the area is perfectly fine the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? I live inside an apartment. Something that I like about my apartment, we live next to a park, and I can go there with like friends. They opened the pool recently, so I could go to the pool. My name is Nell Himley. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I'm 24, and I was just hired as a software developer. I'm Chinese but I'm an adoptee, so that makes it interesting. So I just moved to the southmost tip of Highland Park. Yeah, I moved into that part of St. Paul um, last October. So I live in a very white, bougie area of St. Paul in an apartment. And when I think about my neighborhood, I think about how nice of a place it is to live. There's a lot of bike lanes, there's a lot of stores, it's very walkable, it has this historic nature to it and it, you know the history of the neighborhood is very well preserved and I think you know that kind of reflects a little bit about 
how the city chooses and has chosen to invest its resources you know over the past the most invested in neighborhoods tend to be those white areas and um, the less invested neighborhoods tend to be the ones where POC are congregated. Um, if we think back to you know the Rondo neighborhood as the most infamous example where they built 94 right through it and um, kind of upended and uprooted a lot of the black community of St. Paul. So um, I think about those things every day when I step outside, when I say, where are the POC at? Oh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a consequence of the policies that created St. Paul today. Amazing. What an amazing rundown. And you can describe all the context of just walking outside onto your street and noticing, wow, how did I get here? How did this neighborhood come to be? And all these things happen just by observing the, uh, the history of your neighborhood. And I hope you, listener, um, are able to do the same. Let's go through the other questions. I'll answer it another time, but what's sure. an issue you're passionate about and why? An issue that I'm passionate about is the Lao community, especially, they aren't getting recognized as much. I don't see that many Lao citizens, Laotian citizens, that are in the area that much, and my school barely has any. Um, I'm one of at least about like five, and I want to change the ethnic difference. I feel like gender, too, isn't really like supported as much. It's really important to me that like, um, you know, culture, gender, um, sexuality, like all that type of stuff like is really important. Um, and it isn't really talked about that much. Refugees aren't really um, supported enough and all that. And like what happened like within today, I mean, they did talk about abortion, and which is really it's a lot, right? And it, it really hurts when you have to think about not being able to have an abortion. And like, I feel like people should have a choice, especially like women have to, like, should have a choice to have an abortion or not. And that is also a really important topic to talk about. Climate change too, that is like really important um, to our earth. And I know it's changing a lot, but yeah, I mean, I've been volunteering and stuff. I mean, I'm a part of, um, the Mon Club at my school, which is like, they do a lot of different things um, supporting their community, and I would like to help that because we're all around the same family, and um, I'm really, I really hope they're more noticed. Being shy and not knowing, knowing anyone, it's been hard to reach out, I guess. But um, I found this event on Instagram, and yeah, it's been nice. It's a good push in the right direction, I guess, because I've also been thinking about like volunteering for issues that are like common these days, and like I have yet to find one that I that I'm like really angry about. I guess if you know what I mean. I hate to be indifferent because that's the worst. <laughs> it's been hard to find a start. <laughs> I'm I'm passionate about a lot of issues. I'm really passionate about um, getting people to stop saying bless you when they sneeze because I just feel so much pressure when people say bless you to say thank you back and I'm not asking for anyone's blessing. I'm just sneezing. It's just a human bodily function. I don't need your blessings. I'm just trying to be. But, you know, I appreciate the good vibes um, and I'm not trying to offend anyone here, but okay, let's go there. Why do we even say bless you? And, you know, and a lot of Asian cultures don't say anything when you sneeze. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that that's white supremacy, but let's unpack that. Does saying bless you make you a white supremacist? I think we need to ask these questions. Let's dive right in. Yes, white supremacy. Is bless you white supremacy? Is imperialism? <laughs> all these things. I'm here to spread awareness. As we all should. As infect each other with awareness. Sneeze into each other's face with awareness. Yes. I may we'll see what I cut out of this uh -huh. thing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I appreciate when people bring in a less traveled issue that they care about. Right. That's what we need to hear more about. When I go to the grocery store, 
I feel like whenever I stop somewhere, like I stop to look at something, there's like within five seconds, someone's like comes right up beside me and grabs something like quickly and goes away. This happens like. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm the opposite problem. Well, you you finish your story and then I'll tell you my experience. Yeah, I have, re have repeated accounts of people just walking up to grab something beside me. I'm just like, is it is this a human behavioral thing? Is this like a reflexive thing? But it happens too often for me to think this is something other than a pattern. Okay, so my problem with the grocery store is I am too socially awkward. So I cannot I cannot ask somebody to move if they're right in the way of the thing that I want to grab. And I cannot be that person who's just going to go up and grab something off that shelf. I will actively walk past them and pretend that I don't want the thing that they're also looking at because reaching forward while they're still there is too much of a, it's too much confrontation for me. So, you know, the other day I was trying to buy some soy milk. This lady has the fridge open. She's trying to pick what kind. You know, a normal person, I think, would just reach in and grab whatever they wanted. But no, I walked right past. I looked a little bit at the regular milk, waited for that lady to leave. Then I went back. Um, and this happens too often for me. But, yeah. I feel like we should do a survey about this because I feel like I do the same thing. What you're describing okay. cannot be an uncommon thing. Like I hope wanna... not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think people are just trying to be polite, right? Because, like, let's say you reached in. Like, right. It's like, oh, you're invading my space, man. I'm just trying sure, to get Sure, sure. Listeners, if you have any thoughts about either of these grocery situations, grocery circumstances, please email one of the AOP people and contact information that will be <laughs> accompanying this podcast somewhere somehow. Are you okay if we just... Yeah, let's keep going. Let's keep going. This is fun. This is fun. Why do you think it's important for Asian Americans to build power? Feel free also if you need to. Yes, and I know that I've been kind of silly up until this point, but I do want to take it, take a serious for a second here. Let's do it. Uh, it's important for Asian Americans to build power because for so long we we're not able to or we wanted to but we weren't able to the state was actively working against our ability to build power you know if you think about the farm workers the filipinos in california like larry Itlong and the japanese american farmers who were incarcerated uh all through the you know ways that asian communities were and have been criminalized um encouraged not to work together you know there's there's all these active narratives about how affirmative action hurts Asian Americans and we need to be the model minority, um, pitting us against our fellow Asians and also other people of color. Um, it's There's a lot of obstacles. So, you know, when we think about, I think Asian Americans are stereotypically kind of thought of as apolitical or not really involved in some of these political movements. They're overlooked. Um, but there's some truth to that just because we have been discouraged from doing so. Um, and when there have been efforts to do so, to unionize or to activate, uh, there are forces that have worked against us. So, uh, you know, we're in a new era. I think that younger folks are waking up to all of the structural barriers to activism. And um, now that we have this awareness, like that's a great privilege that a lot of other groups don't have. So we've got to use that awareness and, you know, make change that's going to impact all of our communities and um, use the space that we now have greater access to to fight for the things that are going to make a difference in our lives. So juicy. Ryan, you're, you're hitting on all, all, all these major points, and I, I agree. Yes, I think not only the state. Well, I think a lot of Asians will be familiar with us being socialized within our own families to, like, you know, the, the whole keep your head down, don't shake the boat, and all that. And then that extends to, like, the state telling us. Like, they, people outside of our family, strangers with power, tell, saying, you got you all, you all better pay attention to your parents because if you don't, we're going to get you as well with our criminalization and all that. Um, so there are many forces working have, that have worked against Asians. But now, yes, as you said, this new generation, we have more room to be vocal, be expressive, come together and be expressive together to... Hopefully, voice our 
not just voice our concerns against the state, but actually take action against things. Yeah. Asian Americans, I feel like they have to, um, they shouldn't have to do that much to build power, because obviously a lot of people have power. This is really fun, <laughs> just talking about their background and their background really um, is it really gives importance um, to their history and their cultural background and um, where they come from which is like really interesting I think Asian Americans they they hold a lot of power but they can't really reflect that on other people as much which I would love to do that the Asian American community they're going uh, through a lot like significantly it's just a matter of time before like change could happen I really hope that Asian hate could stop. There was a thing that happened with like an Asian grandma that got shot up in a store by her own people, I think, or something like that. But it really, it gave surprise to me. Like it really put me in a, a state of shock because like, why, why are you trying to hurt your own people when you like, you're trying to support each other and like help and raise each other up as a community. And it, it just really like, that really hurt me. It was extremely uh, nerve wracking. But I feel like anything can, really happen if us Asian Americans come together as a community and like really protest against like, not really protest, but like um, spread the love um, towards the other communities and the other um, people. But a victory, um, I'm really glad, well, especially my parents, they've struggled a lot um, to raise my parents, like what? To raise my, my older sister and to raise me. And obviously it's like a lot of work um, and money. I'm really glad to see where we're at now. My parents were refugees. They struggled through a lot and I'm glad that I'm here right now and I'm able to recognize that I'm able to have the education I need and I can um, have the money to graduate, which that's gonna be really exciting. I'm really happy. And I'm gonna encourage all the listeners at home, if you have not studied a lot of Asian American history, I mean, for those of you who have, bravo, but you know, this is not something that's really taught in our schools. Another way that Asian Americans have been kind of disinvested from and discouraged to organize. If you look at the history books, right on the eve of like massive waves of Asian immigration to this country, the U.S. actually instituted the very first immigration laws that banned anybody based on their race. And that was the Chinese Exclusion Act and later, you know, the Immigration Act of 1917 that just banned so many Asian folks from coming to this country. We would be so much more Asian as a whole right now as a population without those laws in place. Like, just think about right as millions of people were on their way here for opportunities, um, they were barred from coming here. And so Asian organizing power has been delayed but it's inevitable, man. We're rising up. And that's what you know, so many a uh, groups like AAOP are doing. You know, they're showing that um, as a growing population, as a growingly active population in this country, like now is our time. It's been denied to us before, but um, we are on the move. We are on the move. Ex excellent, great pep talk. Brian, give the pep talk to the Asians out there. I, I do have a question of like, well, there, there's two parts. What do you think are some of the ceilings that will pre prevent Asians from organizing with each other? What kind of like, how would you describe the limitations that will curb, curb our enthusiasm and our feeling of safety to, to do that kind of coalescing work? Because a lot of Asian groups are so new to this country um, and Asian as a racial category in itself doesn't really exist in Asia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it's a construct, it's a political identity. Um, that is kind of, I found, the biggest barrier to organizing Asian Americans as a whole because we don't think of ourselves as a greater group that can collaborate, that can work on things together. You know, if the Hmong community has an issue that they're rallying for, very rarely do we see other Asian groups involved in rallying for that cause because we kind of view it as, well, that's the Hmong 
issue, you know, or if Chinese Americans are facing some sort of injustice, that's the Chinese issue. Um, I think in Texas and Florida right now, they're passing laws banning Chinese immigrants from owning land. And where are the other AAPI groups out there um, voicing, you know, their opposition to that? I mean, there are some, but there could always be more, right? And the reason why we don't see groups, you know, coming together in the way as much as we could is because of kind of some of those social constructs and the frameworks that we're used to working in. Now, I'm not saying that racializing everybody into big categories is necessarily the best system, but it is the system that exists. You know, we all fill out the census. We all check off Asian on that box. It's the structures that we've been placed into as immigrants and descendants of immigrants to this country. So if that is the system, like, you know, we, of course, we want to dismantle systems, uh, but we can also work within the systems that exist to reach our ultimate goals. So I think that's just one major thing that I've kind of noticed spending time with other Asian folks is, there, you know, it takes a while to identify across those ethnicities and stuff. When I was younger, you know, as a half Japanese American, half white American, whatever, um, Asian American spaces were always a question for me. Is that somewhere I'm welcome? Even the Japanese spaces. I thought, I don't know if this is a place that fits, fits me and my identity and stuff, let alone uh, Southeast Asian spaces or South Asian spaces, you know? And um, that's something that we all have to work on unpacking and figuring out together. Woo! Yes. Who'd have thunk that there'd be so many intense questions for Asians to ask ourselves that will either lead to us being too paralyzed to do anything or throw us into an action, action momentum. However, yes, so there's questions of self-involvement of, of self or, or self-legitimacy in doing things and doing Asian things with other Asians because like the idea of Asian is a very new, con new concept. Even, even the idea of like it takes time for us to get there. For us to, for us to even to decide there's a there to get to, right? There are plenty of like people up there at the theater like, I don't need the whole Asian thing. I'm just here for my people and I don't need, well, what does it take for us to feel like working across Asian lines is a legitimate thing? Or like a worthwhile thing to do, but then there's also this is a, and this is a totally separate thought. This might get a little spicy. Open up a spicy hole with uh, with the Chinese land owning because I think there are a lot of Asians in Asia who even here who would not protest the idea of and I I might not leave this in the podcast. It's just for for me for later. Mm -hmm. uh, Ch ethnic Chinese people who are like upper class already land owning they would not protest that uh, protest the banning of that or like the reduction of that because historically that has been a big thing in Asia. We don't have to answer that, but I respond to that. I just, that's a thought that came across my mind. Right, and I mean, I think that is something that is very human. So think about, well, that one group of people, you know, they already have certain privileges in society or whatever, you know, they, if they're subject to a discriminatory law or whatever, that doesn't necessarily bother me. And it's a slippery slope because, you know, once it happens to one group, uh, could it happen to others? We've seen in history that it tends to every single time. Well, you can think about in terms of these laws, but any law, really, if they're impacting a certain particular community, that's just a practice round for what could happen to you. And I think building solid, the concept of solidarity, you know, um, the idea that what happens to our neighbors or our community members uh, impacts us too as individuals and communities is something that takes a while to build. And it also has to rely a lot on us folks who have done some of that thinking and have the resources and the ability to articulate those ideas to share that and um, educate folks and give people opportunities to educate themselves. That's right. Ooh, many stages of, of building awareness, of education, of knowing where we are in the ecosystem of like privilege and non-privilege and other words, class, race, and all, all those things. Very, very juicy. Let's start to close out here. Yes. Share a victory of something that, that you've been excited about. Okay, so my name is Emma. Um, I use she, her pronouns. I'm 22 and I'm currently a 
Smith, Special Education Assistant at the Minneapolis Public Schools. I'm Japanese and I live on the edge of a Prospect Park right now. And I think one of the victories, <laughs> one of the victories that I'd like to share is I think in the last um, few years I've gotten a lot more comfortable with my identity. I have a lot of mixed feelings about where my place is, especially being mixed and being mixed with white, which is, you know, it's I'm bordering the line of two kind of opposing identities. And I think I felt a lot of times there's a lot that I had to prove to prove that I was one or the other or that I belong somewhere. And I think in the recent years, I've really come to feel comfortable in the space that I'm in and realizing that I don't need to prove to anyone what I feel or how I identify myself. And it's most important to surround yourself by the not the people that are like you, but the people that will support you, even if they're not like you. And they'll support you back. Okay, thank you. Bye. Number <laughs> four, a victory for me is that um, I get to go to like different cities with my team and I get like meet new people of where like we go perform. So, yeah. When I think of victory, I of course think about you know new laws that are passed or big momentous things that are going to impact a lot of lives. Yes, that. But also, I want to uplift you know all the work that the organizations who are here today with AAOP are doing. Um, when you reach one impacted community member or you engage one new volunteer, those are also victories. You're changing lives every single day, and I think we all need to just take time to celebrate those smaller victories too, because that is how movements happen, just person by person. And what would you describe as a small victory? Or, or, small, rather, or rather like something, well describe a small victory a small victory in your life that you want to celebrate. I mean a small victory could be meeting someone new and engaging them on a topic that they've never heard about before. It could be getting someone to sign up to volunteer at your event. It could be 10 listeners to this podcast. Um, it could even be getting out of bed if that's something that you're not necessarily up for. <laughs> we're all doing our best and I think that we just need to give ourselves grace and also pat ourselves on the back more. I mean we're doing a lot. All of us. Agreed, agreed. That's right, y'all. So if you're able to get out of bed, scream victory, seize that energy. And how have you been patting yourself on the back, Ryan, lately? Is that a euphemism? Um, well, I don't, for the fifth question, I don't really take care of myself that much. Um, I'm still trying to mentally take care of myself after school's ended um, for the summer. And I haven't been caring about myself that much, um, which I really hope to do within the past, the summer, just to try to become a better person and try to be more um, bold, more reflective in my culture and my love and all of that and my happiness. Hap happiness. happiness. <laughs> I would like to care for my community. I mean, I do care for my community. I do loud dancing. I can loud. Um, and I really love it. <laughs> um, it's, it's so fun to be in this um, organization because you know, I've been dancing for like at least a year now. The more I dance, the more I meet new people, the more I get to recognize like the power that we hold as a organization. Even though we're not that big of a group, we can still like show the love of the Laotian community. And I love my people who I'm dancing with. And um, there's always more <laughs> to um, to add on. To be 100% honest, I'm a part of the younger generation, but like the next younger generation, I um, I really hope they really reflect on their power that they hold because they're all amazing and there's like so many things that they could do and they just have to put it to use and um yeah and i really hope they can motivate others um in the community and in that generation but yeah thank you um again i'm randa Danavon. Hi, I'm Lauren. I use she, her pronouns. I'm 22. I'm a research assistant in public policy. 
I would say that my advice to the younger generation of community leaders and activists is that movement's not going to need you every second of every day. It's okay if you need to take a break from door knocking for the week or you don't want to go in for phone banking for the day. Like, There's a lot of powerful feelings that's in activism and it's understandable when those become really overwhelming and sometimes you just need to stay home and take a second for yourself. Like The movement will be fine. That's the thing about community building is that if you aren't able to do it, the rest of the community will help you out. Like That's the whole perk of it. So just remember to care for yourself so that you can sustain yourself and continue to do the really important work that you're doing. I have uh, eating a lot of ice cream. I gotta say that's kind of my treat lately. I'm the type of person who likes chunks in their ice cream. So I've stumbled upon this, this flavor at Target called Brookie Dough, which is brownies and cookies and ice cream. And it's got like 500 calories per serving. Uh, so it's quite indulgent, but that's how I've been patting myself on the back lately. How about you, Tree? Amazing, I, I, I wanna be there. And I wanna be 500 calories of, of deep indulgence right there with you. For me, Victory, I finished this show, I finished this puppet show at this venue called Open Eye Theater, it was a residency. If I somehow have the opportunity to share the video link, it's called Yellow Gold Punk Music on YouTube. I'll share it, but basically I got to make my own show, my own show that included puppets, but included music and other things to talk about, like Vietnamese and punk things, because I'm into those things. Point is, I finished that a couple months ago and I'm feeling very cool, very good, yeah. So those are the victories. You should pat yourself on the back for that one, Tree. Congratulations. Thank you, Ryan. Have a great rest of your day, Ryan. You as well. Thank you so much for listening to part one of this special installment of New Narratives. If you want to learn more about AAOP or The Seed Project, check out the show notes below. Again, if you want to hear more in-depth commentary from a couple of the organizers of the event, head on to the next episode. Thank you. <laughs> This has been Jacqueline, Marie, and Tree, and thank you for listening once again.